0: good morning good morning it's a nice morning yes it is i don't think that i'm loud enough not right now but always
1: then talk louder
0: i'm going to i'm going to try to speak more loudly today
1: speak more loudly i like, Do you like my socks. basketball socks yes i'm wearing these again Swish. and i've worn these already before that you've seen me so i've kind of committed a, a crime Really the sock game, yes, I mean y- well, there are only
0: so many Christmas socks that know, one would purchase, but, but and still. I would expect as much as I see you I'd see you in something twice.
1: How dare you
0: this is a um it's a good day it's a beautiful day man it's uh it's going to be sixty degrees today it's december twenty third at the time of this recording and um sunny blue sky you sound like Wayne Hart <laughs> <laughs> There's a low-pressure system moving from the West. <laughs> I used to training
1: the momentum.
0: I used to be fascinated <laughs> with meteorological
1: speak. I think that's fascinating. Yes, I don't think, ladies and gents, that we are going to be having a white Christmas. But it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Right? Yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, it, it, whether it is or not, it is what it is. Yeah. Who cares? I mean, think about all the people in the Southern Hemisphere.
1: Yeah, who cares? Yeah, they don't
0: ever have a white Christmas. I think we should say snowy Christmas. I'm thinking in the uh, racial um, (laughs) tensions that we have in this nation, I think we probably shouldn't call it a
1: white Christmas. Well, fine, snowy. Snowy Christmas.
0: I'm dreaming of a snowy Christmas. (laughs) Christmas. I would like to uh, ask two questions, okay. and they come from uh, experiences with my family. Uh, Joy's parents are in town um, for Christmas, which is exciting. We uh, just last night made cookies, decorated them. <laughs> uh, I did a bow tie. You're five. That is horrible.
1: You are five.
0: Uh, no, all of our girls did it uh, and, and we all love it. It's fun. We all, everybody does it. And in the meantime, you know, we're playing cards and we have Christmas music going and it was, it's a lot of fun. This was after dinner. And, um, anyway, which is dinner was fun because we entrust all the, the items of the meal. This is Joy's idea from a long time ago. We entrust it all to the girls. So every Thanksgiving, our girls cook everything. Wow. They team up. One does the corn souffle, one does the green bean bundles, one does the bread, one does the pies. I mean, it's just awesome. Yeah, And uh, that's what they did last night too. They were making cookies and um, it got me thinking about game playing and, you know, cards and board games and things like this and what it is about game playing that we like so much and that draws us together. Because at the end of the day, it is a competition, right? Some people take it way too seriously. Um, I'm one of those who used to take it very seriously. Like, I always wanted to win. Because it's akin to always wanting to be right. And we all know that that's one of my original sins. But I'm letting go of that, and I really don't care anymore, actually. I didn't win one hand at last night's (laughs) game of Tonk.
1: We play Uno with Everett, who's four, and... Every round or whatever you want to call it, the rules change. So it's like, well, it's I laid down a green eight, but since the blue three is half of the green eight, a three looks kind of like an eight yeah, and halfway. I got you. Then that's my new number and color. And then he wins every time. That's kind of sweet. <laughs> He'll lay down like six in a row and he goes, I win. <laughs> I would kick him out of the house and make him sleep outside. Yeah, I know. He's fired. I didn't mean to tonk. You were saying tonk. No, no you didn't. Win, you didn't win a single hand of no, the tonk.
0: No, it doesn't bother me. Um, but I, I do think that game playing is a lot of fun, and some people don't like it. My father in law doesn't like it
1: because he doesn't like to lose.
0: Yes, he admitted to that last night. We took Joy and I, um, of course, hosted uh, the the service at one of our locations uh, in in Owensboro on Saturday night for. Uh, for those who are grieving during the holidays. And at the conclusion of that, we met Joy's parents at a local wine bar here in town. And we did that with the complete uh, but unspoken uh, goal of playing this game with Joy's parents. Because at this wine bar, they have all these fun card games that you can play. and One of them um, was is called Moral Dilemma.
1: Mm.
0: And the card uh, that you read proposes or poses a moral dilemma and you get two options. Bless you. Thank you. You get two options and you choose one and, and but you have to be completely honest. Like at least we are. And it really demonstrates like, first of all, what a terrible person I am. And secondly, the generational gap was so obvious. Like, and I know that they won't mind my saying this because they would On here, and they would say it themselves very clearly. One of the questions had to do with uh, launching a nuclear bomb. One, you either sent ground troops in, Mm -hmm. and you knew that there would be death of your troops, or you send a nuclear bomb. Well, they, without hesitation, were like nuke them, nuke (laughs) them, nuke the (laughs) bastards. And Joy, and that's the my parents-in-law. And Joy and I were no way. Send in the ground troops. Ground troops, like never ever, send in the bomb. And they were like, "Well, but we were born in a time when you know that was right after that had happened, and and uh, it saved all these lives." And ultimately, what it came down to was, it saved American lives. And the moral dilemma to me was, is it about patriotism or is it about humanitarianism? Humanitar- yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's a really interesting game. Some of them are, are quite inappropriate, which was much fun listening to my mother-in-law read these questions. Can you play it on the phone? When stands and such.
1: Oh, that's fun. I don't
0: know. Look that up. And and while I'm... Uh, we'll, we'll end with that if you can find that. But it, yeah. it's, it's really... It was really a lot of fun. But anyway, I think game playing is such a, a rich opportunity for families to spend time together and to laugh. It was so fun because... Joy and the girls and Joy's mom were having this fight over who could shuffle better. By far, it was, of course, it was Joy because she's really good at it. But the girls were trying it, and they were terrible. And then Joy's mom being competitive. She's really competitive. Mm. She wanted to try, and she wasn't as good. And then they started pulling cards out of each other's hands, and then it was 52 card pickup. And, you know, it's just fun. That sounds fun. So fun. So light and, and airy and lovely in, in so many ways. So I, I think this is a word for families. Um, and couples play a game every now and then. Uh, I don't know if you, I know that you don't know this, but I wanted to share this with you. Every night, when we are kind of unwinding to go to bed, I think it's true for a lot of couples that either they will flip on the TV and watch a show and fall asleep, or there this is when they will do their kind of phone time, mm-hmm. and um, we will we play two or three games every night on our phones. So I'm, I'm watching, I'm just, I'm going to out myself. I'm watching TikTok. I know I'm 44. <laughs> Stop with the judgment. It's hilarious. And then Joy will be uh, playing Candy Crush. But then the little notification pops up on the phone that you have a new text from Joy and you open it and it's my move on one of the games that we play on the um, Game Pigeon, which is part of the iPhone iMessaging thing. And we play pool, mm-hmm. we play battleship, mm-hmm. it's called sea battle, and we play something called tanks. And it's these two tanks <laughs> and a castle turret and the moon and wind. And you have to angle your, your, your firing thing. What's that? Cannon. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the time that I spent in the military was well spent. Oh, my god! <laughs> Clearly the time was zero days. And you aim your cannon, and you have to angle, angle it right and adjust for the wind, and it fires this little cheesy little... Poof. And then you watch it arc down, and you try to hit your opponents. So we play those three games every night. That's fun. It is awesome. And we laugh, and of course we're playing battleships, so we're not letting each other see our phones because we won't let them see our formation. It's a lot of fun. I think this is a word for, for game playing. Yeah, It's not about winning. It's about enjoying it.
1: When I get home every day... Uh, Katie, who assists with babysitting and and other duties, she'll be there playing with the baby and the two boys. And I walked in the other day, and Everett looked up at me and he goes, "Daddy, why do you fart so much in front of Katie?" And I'm like, I, what are you talking about?" You were about to say, "I don't," but you stopped. You're like, "What are you talking?" I, but about? I really don't. My point was, is like, that's fun for us. Is that's their new thing, is they like to say, tell everyone when they come into our home that I fart all the time. Yeah. Daddy's a fart anator? I don't. It's so weird. Yeah. Daddy farts. Katie will walk in at 730. Daddy's farting again. I'm like, I am making coffee.
0: I had a great friend who was a pastor, and uh, he had finished <clears throat> the service, had concluded his sermon, and was standing at the front of the of the nave, to give his benediction. And in the middle of the benediction, his little girl says, that's my daddy and he has a penis. Oh no. Just yells it in front of the whole congregation. I bet they loved it. Oh, the I mean, everybody just died laughing. He lowers his head, has his hand raised in the kind of benediction style, lowers his head, lowers his hand, shakes his head left to right, and then just walks down the chancel, down the nave to the end of the, you know, back of the sanctuary. <laughs> he was done grabbing his daughter by the hand and walking her out. You know, it was very. It was. He says it was just hilarious. Same kid. A woman says, "You have a very beautiful dress on." Talking to the pastor's daughter, she said, "Thank you. My mommy says it's a bitch to iron." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that so- <laughs> right to a
0: parishioner.
1: That's so awesome. Yeah, that's wonderful. Kids, that's why you got to be careful with what you say. Listen. Luckily, our kids don't. Oh, 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 our kids. Oh, our kids. What were you about to say? Well, I'm not going to, because it's kind of like the, in my opinion, it's the curse word of all curse words. Oh, okay. Like using the Lord's name in vain. Right, GD. Right. Anderson comes in and to the car after school and he goes, uh, I think something along the lines of g d what a day and it's and, and, <laughs> <laughs> such a real like and he
0: was so serious he had no idea <laughs> i
1: I don't say that in front of our kids at all and he goes i didn't know he was so mortified he goes i didn't know i didn't know and I'm not going to out the kid because I know the parents and they listen to this podcast they, they say it all the time they say it all the time I didn't know it was a bad word, and so we are teaching them just because you hear it don't mean doesn't mean you have to say it mm-hmm so he has since never said that. But it was so calm and casual, just like, you know, I've got on Christmas socks. <laughs> it's like, GD, what a day. <laughs> I was like, gosh. <laughs> Nothing like Garrett and Jennifer's kids at, uh, at church on Sunday screaming uh, the F word really loud. Oh, goodness gracious. She was maybe one or two. They can clarify or corroborate that if, if you know them. They're at Lourdes at Mass. Our Lady of the Catholic Church. I always
0: say Lords, Lords, People Lords, Lords. That's a that's embarrassing. Yeah, if you're embarrassable,
1: mm-hmm. we'll get to more of that in a moment. I'm embarrassable.
0: Are you? Gosh. Oh,
1: I wish I were more embarrassed. I'm embarrassed right now thinking about embarrassing things. I think I have a little bit of sociopath in me. I mean, maybe you do, but I I don't know. I think we probably all do. That's I don't know. Not a really not embarrassable a, though. Yeah. Although there was
0: that one time I did not dance on the train in Peru, and I should have, and I hid. It's another day for another story.
1: What? Another story, another what? day? Yeah. Another. Merry Christmas?
0: The other thing I wanted to bring up in addition to uh, gaming and mm-hmm. how fun that is, is um,
1: a light question for the holidays. Oh, gosh. I, there's nothing light with you in questions.
0: The 7th century ep- it's know. interesting you mention that because I'm getting ready to mention a 17th century document. No you're not. I am. Oh my gosh. It's a document written by all men unfortunately and uh almost all of them were named John. No kidding. What? John Knox, John
1: Jacob Jingleheimer, Collompatia,
0: John. Lots of Johns. Johnny Appleseed? He wasn't there. Um oh. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going to allude to that after I kind of pose the question. And it's a question that we talked about while we were playing a game last night. Okay. And the thought is some people refuse to answer the question and some people answer it too quickly. I don't know. But anyway, here's the question. Am
1: I, Lord, so, let me be very, very honest this Christmas episode. Eyes are shut. It's
0: a question you've heard before. I'm really nervous. It's normally said in jest. Oh, no. But this is a legitimate question. Okay.
1: No, I will not make out with you.
0: <laughs> what is the purpose of your life? That's the question. It's not one of those throwaways. It's not meant to uh, evoke some rich philosophical concept or, or you know, dredging. It's it's meant for your contemplation and response. What is the purpose of your life? In the seventeenth century, the Westminster Catechism was created between the years sixteen forty six and sixteen forty seven at Westminster Abbey in London in a hidden room. And when I went to visit there, I talked to a steward whose last name was Carol. And she said, she's a really older woman. I'm sure she's no longer with us. She said, I would like to show you something that we're not allowed to show people on the tour. It's just, you know, it's kind of reserved for church staff because the Westminster Abbey is a functioning she took me into this fireside room where uh, somebody, I don't remember who now because I'm an idiot historian, but somebody was stabbed to death and died in the room. But it's where all the Johns got together and created the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and its derivative, the Westminster Larger Catechism. And these are Protestant documents that have been uh, active and at play in generations of faith formation well since the 17th century the first question is what is the chief end of man and a more inclusive way of saying that is what is the goal of the life of the human being the answer to that question because a catechism is a question and answer style uh, and format for expressing faith um, and so the, que- the first question is, what is the chief end of man? What is the, the purpose of the life of a human? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. But that's one way you can answer this, to, to glorify God and enjoy God forever. That's, that's the way Christians have been kind of answering that question, Protestant Christians, since the mid-17th century. I, my response to that is, the, the purpose of life is to become the best version of myself through acts of kindness and compassion and loving service to my neighbor and to create, and I'm borrowing this from, from Joy's answer, to create a family who knows how important it is to love and serve in compassion and kindness and to make uh, however, we can make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my kind of quick. I haven't thought about it uh, more than just saying that. I haven't you know written a big document on it. I didn't want to come in over prepared. That's just where I am. What is the purpose of your life? Just to, your knee jerk
1: response. Mine is to leave a mark. So the things in which you just stated, I always tell people. You leave a mark on this world, good or bad, you are remembered for something. So I think in including what you just stated, being kind, being compassionate, being better than you were the day before, passing on your legacy to your children and their children and so forth is I think life's goal.
0: And I think a good way of asking the question, what is the purpose of my life or what is my life about or what should I do with my life is what can I do with my time that is important? It brings up, once again, the poem by Mary Oliver that I think is called The Grasshopper, and she ends the poem. She has died recently. She ends the poem with the question, what will you do with your one wild and passionate life? A great way to end a poem. What will you do with your one wild and passionate life? What is something that you can do with your time that is important? I think that's a far more manageable question and doesn't have all the baggage of the life purpose question because I think it kind of bogs people down in this notion of like existential obligation. Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? And why contemplate the cosmic significance of your life when really we're just sitting on the couch eating Doritos? <laughs> Instead, I think we can ask, what can I do to get off my rump and do something that feels important to me? And I run into this with people who have lost loved ones. And this is, I know the holiday time is a very, 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 very painful, lonely, and alienating time for people who have lost loved ones. And recently, we, Joy and I were talking to a woman who's, who's lost her husband, and she was lamenting the loss not only of her husband and the time they shared and her ability to give care to him, but now what? She looked at us in the eye, threw up her hands, and said, what is my life about now that he's gone? It's just heartbreaking. Wow. Even people with a really well-defined sense of self within their relationships still question, who am I? What do I do now that my life is so radically and complicatingly different? Now that my heart is broken and this chair is empty, now what? Very powerful and painful question. So I wanted to pose a couple of questions um, for people to kind of consider while they're thinking about how is it that they can create and make meaning. Because I don't think the meaning of life is as important as creating a life of meaning. First question is, wrote it down, What? is true about you today that would
1: make your eight year old self cry do I have to answer this or are we just posing the question for the listeners throw, I think
0: you should throw something out
1: there as you eat your breakfast and lovely pulp or pulp free orange juice drink it pulp free that's, that's boring th- that is boring that's
0: I want to chew my orange, orange juice grade school I want maximum pulpage.
1: Yeah. So good. Amazing. Yeah.
0: I used to hate that. I think everyone did. We wanted it that's smooth. That's the answer.
1: My eight-year-old self would cry at the pulp. Really? No, that's not. No. No. no I was trying to be funny. I'm not funny. I know. I'm reminded often. <laughs> he is so faking right now. God, I hate you right
0: now. <sighs> I <laughs> That's one question. I don't to laugh answer. as much. Okay. I think my 8-year-old self would be sad at how much latent pain and anger that resides like a smoldering ember in the basement of my heart. Oh my gosh, that is not even true. Sure it is. Really? Absolutely. I've oh. had, I experienced a lot of grief in my childhood that has has. I mean, I say latent because it only comes out every now and then. Got it. I mean, yeah. they don't call me David Banner for nothing. Actually, no one calls me David Banner. <laughs> <I> just <laughs> you are on point in the weirdest way. Today. Another question: How can you better embarrass yourself?
1: Back to embarrassment. See, stand on the island on Frederica Street in my underwear and wave at cars as they go by. Like the naked cowboy in Times Square? Yeah, I remember like when we first started this podcast, like, I had dreams. and uh, for It was a reoccurring dream. I'm standing on the island in Frederica Street, on pretty much on the corner of Tamarack and Frederica, and I'm um, in my underwear, and I'm like, they're exposed.
0: Tamarack and Frederica, they're at the uh, Nick T. Arnold. Is it still a Nick T. Arnold? Because I think they moved. Anyway, before you're able to be good at something and before you're able to do something important, you have to suck at something. Mm-hmm. And you have to be exposed for that suckiness and have no clue what you're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Golf. My job. Other things? Just mm.
0: kidding. I'm terrible at golf, like
1: literally. I don't even go and play anymore. And I've been asked a lot of times. And I think there'd be a lot of opportunity to have some camarader-er, camaraderie <laughs> mm-hmm. with you know people. Yeah, And I refuse. I think that, you know, people will refuse
0: to do something. They would say, well, you know, my friend, i would be made fun of, or if I fail to look like an idiot. I think that's all, those are things that whatever it is we're talking about, we're avoiding it because we actually care about it. And caring about things scares us.
1: I just lost 20 golf balls. so
0: Embrace embarrassment, Nathan. Feeling like an idiot is part of your path to achieving something important and something meaningful and giving your life a sense of structure and
1: shape. Dr. Carroll, are we supposed to be like lighthearted right now? Another question I want to ask. Is this lighthearted or is this just like. If you had to leave the house all day, every day, where would you go and what would you do? I do leave the house every all day, every day. Oh, all day, every day. I don't leave the house all day, every day. Sorry. How would you? What would you do differently? <laughs> and how would you want to be remembered if you knew
0: you were going to die one year from today?
1: Ah! What would you do differently? Laugh more. No, I wouldn't stress as much. Max out with a credit card. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> These are all things you did this weekend. Yeah, I did not. <laughs> I did not. What would
0: you do differently? I did not. If you knew you were going to die a year from today. These are just some questions to get your brain thinking about. What are you about?
1: Well, let me just sit on these for the day. Okay. Let me just open my presence in peace.
0: Okay. I want to encourage all of us to be conscientious about ourselves, how we use our time, what we think is important. Time is the one resource we can't renew. We can find alternative
1: fuels. We can find ways to sequester carbon and capture solar energy. You are on point today, man. I'm like really impressed by you today. Like, I mean, I'm always impressed by you, but especially today.
0: We cannot renew time. Yeah. It's the one thing that we have plenty of that we waste that we can't renew. I think it's important how we use our time.
1: I agree. Genuinely, are we gonna? Are we, can we can go we, for it? It's can your turn. Like, it's your turn. Okay, can we like play a game now? Yeah. Okay. No. Oh, you want you want to play the moral? Do you want to play the moral dilemma? Sure. I've got some ideas of some too. All right. Here we go. All right. Oh no. <sighs> this is an okay. Enemy soldiers have taken over Jane's village. They have orders to kill all remaining civilians over the age of two. Jane and some of the townspeople have sought refuge in two rooms of the cellar of a large house. Outside, Jane hears the voices of soldiers who have come to search the house for valuables. Jane's baby begins to cry loudly in the other room. Oh, no. His crying will summon the attention of the soldiers who... I know where this is I headed. don't want to even finish this. This is not...
0: Moral dilemmas, by the way, tend to always be dark in one way or another. It's oh, okay.
1: my God, I'm ch- I'm going to a different one. Oh my God, the pregnant lady in the dynamite. <laughs>
0: what in the hell? I have one.
1: I have one for you. What in the hell? Okay. you're at your best. Fr- I'm,
0: I'm sorry, I just hit you with my foot. It's okay, you're at your best friend's wedding. It is one hour before the ceremonies to begin, but just earlier that day, you came across definitive proof that your best friend's spouse to be is having an affair with the either best man or maid of honor, depending on the gender. Sure. And you catch them sneaking out of a room together looking disheveled. Mm-hmm. If you tell your friend about the affair, their wedding day is ruined, but you also don't want them to marry a cheater. Do you tell your best friend, because yeah, the day will be ruined, but better a day ruined than an entire life? Or do you say nothing because your job is to be supportive and participate in your friend's happiness. Besides, who's to say your friend would even believe you?
1: Tell my friend.
0: 100%. 87% of those questioned agree with you. They would tell their best friend.
1: I would tell the best friend without hesitation. 13% would say nothing at all. Like, I really would have no hesitation. Okay, your turn. These are, like, really bad, the ones that I have. Tom hating his wife and (laughs) what... Oh my gosh, this is terrible. I'm going to finish this one because I keep stopping. Tom, hating his wife and wanting her dead, puts poison in her coffee, thereby killing her. Oh, there's a Jane in this one too, by the way. Jane also hates her husband and would like him dead. One day her husband accidentally puts poison in his own coffee, thinking it is cream. Jane realizes this and has the antidote that could save him but does not hand it over and her husband dies. Is Jane's failure to act as bad as Tom's action? Yes. Yeah, that's... Absolutely. absolutely.
0: One's passive, one's active, but both, same effect. Yeah. Uh, you're an eyewitness to a crime. A man has robbed a bank, but instead of keeping the money for himself, he donates it to a poor orphanage that can now afford to feed, clothe, and care for his children. You know who committed the crime... If you go to the authorities with the information, there's a chance the money will be returned to the bank, leaving a lot of kids in need. Do you turn the robber into the authorities, right is right, or do you say nothing since
1: Oh, I just lost it. So basically like a Robin Hood.
0: uh, Yeah, say nothing since the money went to what you deem to be a good cause.
1: I would say something to return the money.
0: You and 23% of others agree. 77% of those questions say nothing since the money went to what they deem to be a good cause. Yeah, but it's what
1: you deem to be a good cause. It's what you deem to be. Yeah, I'm sure feeding children is, yeah, that's absolutely a good cause. So for you, right is right. Right is right.
0: I know who the bank robber is. People's money was stolen. I'm going to turn to the men. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right.
1: Your turn. I'm. This is the last one for me because I don't know where I got mine. I think I got mine from, like, IHateMyLife.com. Uh, oh. Uh, let's see here. You are on a plane containing 150 people currently flying over barren desert. Hijackers take over, killing the pilot and co-pilot and sealing themselves in the cockpit. There is no way for you to open the door, but you could damage the ventilation system, causing poisonous fumes to fill the cockpit. If you do this, the hijackers will die, but with no one able to enter the cockpit and fly the plane, it will crash, killing everyone on board. If you do nothing, the hijackers might land the plane safely, or they might crash it into a civilian target, killing even more people. What should you do? I mean... I was reading that. I want to make very clearly that this is terrible because this actually happened. Mm. What would you do? The first option
0: is storm the cockpit. And- the first
1: option is actually uh, con- uh, compromising the ventilation system yeah. and putting poison out and killing everyone, yeah. essentially. you do that. Yeah. You do that. Yeah, without question. You take one for the team. Yeah, and, and I think everyone on so, board would probably come to agreement on that. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's not going to end well. Did know, you for for anyone? No.
1: On, on a great note, did you see in Detroit the story of the thirteen semi drivers parking under the overpass? It's happened numerous times because a man who was having, you know, struggles with family and the holidays was someone was threatening suicide mm-hmm, for and, four hours. They were trying to talk him down. Thirteen semi drivers going, uh, I don't know if it was north north south yeah. or east west, lined the bottom and creating essentially like a.
0: A floor, a floor. That's crazy and incredible.
1: Because that they were thirteen strangers. My point is, is people. There are step good up.
0: people out there, man. Yes,
1: you only hear bad. And so it's many just, more good than yep, bad. So many good people.
0: You have a job as a network administrator for a company who employs your best friend's husband. Okay. One day, your best friend's husband sends you a message asking you to release an email from quarantine. This requires you to open the email, at which point you discover that it's correspondence between this guy and his secret lover. God. After releasing the email, you find yourself in a pickle. Your instinct is to tell your best friend about his husband's infidelity, infidelities, but divulging the contents of company emails is against company policy, you will lose your job. Once it becomes plain your best friend found out about the, the husband cheating through a company email, all trails will lead to you as the leak. Do you tell them about the indiscretion? Yes, your loyalty to your best friend eclipse, eclipses any company policy. No, it sucks your best friend is a cheating husband, but you can't risk losing your job.
1: They're going to find out anyway with the email, right?
0: Well, not if you don't release it. But I have to release it. You do? You, okay.
1: D- didn't it say it was my job to do that?
0: Yeah. Your instinct is to tell, but if you tell, then they know you've released it. So I wouldn't. I'm sad that there's a cheating sir, but I'm not going to risk losing my job over that. That's me. Yeah. Same? Yeah. Last one.
1: Absolutely. Without question.
0: You've been on a cruise for two days when there's an accident that forces everyone on the board to abandon ship.
1: (laughs) During the evacuation,
0: one of the boats is damaged, leaving it with a hole that fills with water. You figure that with 10 people in the boat, you can keep the boat afloat by having nine people scoop the filling water out by hand for 10 minutes while the 10th person rests. Which, by the way, is pretty incredible leadership, management, and math skills under duress.
1: (laughs) After that (laughs) person... Wait a second. 10
0: of us, nine of us scoop. I rest for 10 minutes. We rotate. (laughs) After that person's 10-minute rest... He or she will get back to work while another person rests and so on. This should keep the boat from sinking long enough for a rescue team to find you as long as it happens within five hours, except you have nine people who are working a very long time and are going to get tired. You're taking your first break when you notice your best friend in a sound lifeboat with only nine people in it, beckoning you to swim over and join them so you won't have to keep bailing out water. If you leave the people in the sinking boat, they will only be able to stay afloat for two hours instead of five, decreasing their chance of being rescued, but securing yours. What do you do? Do you stay in your boat and hope that you're all rescued in five hours before the boat sinks and you all drown? Or do you jump ship and join your friend in his boat and hope the others are rescued within two hours?
1: Well, realistically, with the technology we have, we'd be found because they can track where the ship was.
0: So you would stay put, or you would go to your friend's boat and hope within two I would hours go to found.
1: my. I would, I would stay put, because I know I would not be scooping water for five hours.
0: I would join... This is not an option, by the way. And let's just see what everybody else... Oh, let's go back to that. I forgot to ask what the other one... Uh, the other one, uh, 58% uh, had loyalty to their best friend, which eclipsed company policy. 42% said it sucks your friend has a cheating husband. In this one, 68% stay in the boat, 32%. And this is, a uh, we're talking about, this is over 250,000 people voting in this. So it's a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I mean- I-
0: 32% jump ship. But I'm going uh, to give an option C. Link up with your best friend's lifeboat that doesn't have a hole in it. You have 10 in one and nine in the other. Now you have 19 people. Why couldn't you just have people step from one boat to the other? <gasps> Boom. And then you have a whole team of people who are arrested bail shorter period of time switch bail short expanding your survival wow by like five hours to 50 percent yeah easily
1: you're that's what i would do you are on point today that's what i would do this beautiful christmas episode which got a little bit hairy and heavy
0: well you were talking about like pregnant women with dynamite and having to well potentially (laughs) kill a child to save others that is that's where that one was going wasn't it
1: yes yeah and I literally could not finish it because in a million years, I would not do that.
0: I would use the child's crying as bait and bait someone down there, and then we would all jump them, kill them, or be killed.
1: but at least you went down swinging Absolutely. essentially,
0: I'm not going to sacrifice the life of a child. no way, Jose, but of course, it raises the question you know who's whose life is more valuable but right, and all lives have equal value, right. According to my moral system, which in the game that we were playing the other night, it seems I have very little love.
1: <laughs> All lives do have equal value, but it does that was pretty interesting. Like you would not sacrifice a child, and yet we are celebrating a holiday, Christmas in which God sent His only Son for, essentially to save us from sin by his sacrificial offering of his life on the cross.
0: It's a problematic story suggesting that violence breeds redemption, mm-hmm. which has been a narrative that countries have used to legitimate war efforts right. for centuries, that somehow, through violence, we can find peace. It's a myth. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful story, though.
1: I, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing because I'm not there yet. I don't, I don't know that, it's a, that I... I've developed my yeah. thought on that.
0: yeah. It's called the myth of redemptive violence. Yeah. And uh, it's, 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 it's an interesting question. There's a great story of two warring tribes in uh, an uncharted jungle territory, and all they did was kill each other. They murdered each other year Forever. after year. Yeah, anytime that one got too close to the border, they would be killed. And then in retribution and vengeance, that tribe would kill a member of the other tribe. Finally, one this is a true story, one tribe decided to end it. This mother said, I want to end the warring forever. And she was going to donate her own child to the other tribe in exchange for no more killing. And they called that the peace child. And just the idea of it, Caused enough of a disruption in the body politic that everyone agreed, we're not going to do this this way anymore. So that's kind of like that's the story of the birth of of Jesus, really, is that Jesus becomes the peace child. Powerful stuff.
1: Yes, it is. It gave me chills. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I want to say thank you uh, to you, Nathan. Thank you for this Christmas episode. So festive. <laughs> Send us out with uh, a Christmas blessing.
1: I hope that where you are in this moment, whether heavy or filled with joy at the sound of your family in the other room, that you are uh, able to find a glimpse of hope and and happiness or or just a little bit of comfort. And knowing that you're thought of this day uh, by Dr. Carol and myself, because we are mindful that there are people out there, there's those of you who are listening who are struggling. And I think it important that you be mindful of those as well. Uh, Please know that you are loved. And I am grateful that you took time out of your beautiful holiday time season to listen to what Dr. Carol and myself have to say.
0: Pretty humbling. Live your life on purpose. Give it meaning and be at peace.